Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. We are going to take a probably two-week break from the Dutch Sheet series to address a topic that is relevant to that series and comes up quite a bit, but we want to just make sure we really understand this issue of revelations and visions and why it's important that we avoid seeking information that's not been revealed. So when we were talking yesterday, you mentioned this idea. Do you just want to elaborate a little bit? And then we will look at some of these verses that you sent. Yes. One of the things that various mystical approaches, I call it that, where people gain special information through revelations, They determine the meaning of Bible verses based on mystical impressions and so on. And the point of is, if you gain this information, you'll be able to solve problems that ordinary people are stuck with. Okay. And also to have a spirituality that's superior to ordinary Christians who only have their sins forgiven and love the Lord and have the gift of eternal life, but they're totally lacking in being able to bring forth all these miracles and protections and so on as far as their well-being as they go through life. Now, I reject the notion that the spiritual Christians have special revelations. Others don't. In fact, I reject the notion that they're indeed spiritual because the Bible calls such an approach fleshly. Right. Okay. Now, why would you use a lot of different verses and get them wrong again and again and again. And we mentioned that. Well, the the reason is you're looking for special knowledge or secret information. And that's not why we have the Bible. Right. And and quite often they're seeking that special knowledge or secret information so that they can manipulate the outcome of any certain situation. Right. We have the Bible to reveal what God has said, so we can know the truth that leads to salvation. We can know his will, and we can know what he's chosen to reveal to us. Okay. And the problem comes when humans are not satisfied with what God's given them, and they feel like they need something more. Yes. And I mentioned that we were talking about this when we were discussing today's what we're going to do. It really goes back to the Garden of Eden. Absolutely. And so I printed out passages from Genesis and elsewhere in the Bible for us to look at. And let's just see what is at the base of this desire to know more than what God's actually revealed. Right. And you're you know, you're absolutely correct. It goes right back to the Garden of Eden and and Eve's desire to have knowledge to be like God. Right. And so in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you should not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. All right. So 
one of the things that is important for everyone to understand, God gives us the tools to live in the world he puts us in. Right. Okay, to function in the objective world. Okay. Adam and Eve had that. Okay, here is the garden. They had duties as you look into Genesis 2, till and keep. Adam named the animals. You may freely eat. In other words, you decide what you're going to eat and when and where. Yes. And so on. And the tools that we have to live in the world God put us in are objective. They're our physical senses, our rational mind, our ability to see, feel, taste, and function in the world God put us in. Okay. When it comes to spiritual things, we depend on what God has chosen to reveal. Yes. Now, in the garden, Adam and Eve had a re an objective relationship with God. Right. Okay. And he spoke to them. And this was objective, not mystical. Okay. So then what is the temptation? What led to the fall, ex expulsion from the paradise or the garden, and the, the situation that we are born into? Well, that is when the serpent introduced Eve to the idea that you don't really have to listen to God and you can transgress the boundary. Right. Okay, so that's in Genesis 3. So starting with verse 1, Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God made. Lord there is Yahweh. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you should not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Okay. How many have pointed out that pretty obvious she added to the what God had said. Right. God never said not to touch it. Right. Now, why is that there? Well, to show that she was already starting to take the literalness of what God's word was less than seriously. Yes. Okay, so then we go to verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. So this is a direct rejection of what God said. Yes. And as we'll see, that comes from twisting and, and equivocating on the term die. Right. Okay. We'll see how that happens. Verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So okay. The temptation is God knows something you don't know. He's keeping something from you. And you can gain that knowledge by getting rid of the restriction that God put on you through his word. You shall not eat of it. Okay. And you'll gain some knowledge that'll make you like God. Right. So there again, seeking knowledge beyond what God had already revealed. Right. Having a lack of contentment and gratitude for what God provided. 
Well, and there's a lack of trust there that what God has provided is good and his one rule was for their protection. Right. And we're going to show that that's exactly what's going on with the mystics in our day. Yes. They're suddenly, whether they know it or not, taking the role of a serpent and telling people that they can't trust only what God said in his word. They need something more. Right. They want a desirable outcome. That's the application we're going to make. Okay. So, verse 6. When the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave to also to her husband, and he ate. But notice the seduction of this. Good for food, delightful to the eyes. Now, they had all the food anybody. How, how big a paradise you need to have food? Right. There's a certain seductive property of the forbidden. Yes. This is forbidden. It's intriguing. Okay. Why is forbidden? Forbidden. I wonder what it's really like. Mm -hmm. So there's that idea. And then it was a delight to the eye. So there's the sensual there, what it looks like and feels like. And that's certainly what you see in a lot of the seductive false teaching that's out there right now. Yes. It appeals to some sort of a sensual spirituality. Okay. I've, caught, I've talked about that. And in the 80s, Dave Hunt wrote a book called The Seduction of Christianity, which is very telling. It still would be a good book if you can still find one out there. It's desirable to make one wise. That was the other thing. And that wisdom would be the experiential knowledge of the forbidden, the sin. Okay. Evil. Yes. And you're going to know something that's not available in the world God puts you in through the means God's given you to know. Right. Now, I want to show that's exactly what is going on with the New Apostolic Reformation, the Word of Faith movement, the Enneagram we've written about, get these secret numbers, the mystical, the, the occult. Occultism has invaded biblical Christianity and seduced many away from the faith once for all handed down to the saints. That is so evident. And we've addressed it in different, in different podcasts and articles and the faith at risk conferences, but it's still out there and there's still new ways of doing this coming out every day. Well, see, here's the thing. When you stick within the boundaries that God made for your own good, everything that you have is provided by God. It's not going to harm you. Right. The truth of the gospel won't harm you. Okay. But we now know Adam and Eve rebelled while they were in paradise. Yes. We are not in paradise. We're in a fallen world. How much more dangerous is it now? Right. And There's a lot of harm that can come to us when we don't stay within God's boundaries. Exactly. And what we are promised, we have to believe 
through God, by faith, because we do not have our resurrection bodies. We are not in heaven, and we do not have eternal life, other than as the gift. We're not actually um, participating in the life to come. We have the gift and the hope, but we're not yet in immortal bodies. Right. So we still have all the problems that other people have. Right. Okay. People get sick. They have children that have problems. They 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 have problems with money. We have all the same problems. And so the seduction of the tempter is there's a spiritual realm you, that God knows that you don't have. If you get that, you'll be able to transcend the mundane issues of life that everybody else has to deal with and be this hyper-spiritual person that knows something everybody else doesn't know. Yes. So the real base of this is gaining knowledge that's not provided by God. Right. Just like in the garden. Exactly. Now, the false teachers claim it is from God, and they know because they've been to heaven, they got it from him. Right. Okay, now there's a problem with that, too, and that is addressed in Scripture. Right. The taking their stands on visions. We'll talk about that. And I've written a lot of articles about it. And you read books, you would, some of the books I've critiqued over the last 30 some years is as if they're written to do exactly what God said not to do and then claim they're a great prophet of God for doing it. Right. It's, it's bizarre, really. Mm -hmm. And so they took and they ate, verse 7, and the eyes of them were open. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, made themselves light coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. The cold of the day, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. And so they were, as you know, they were banished. And the ground started growing thistles. And you couldn't just freely go out and eat whatever you find. Right. Not everything's good for food. They live in a fallen world. The children are born after their image, meaning the fall is already true even at birth. Yes. Okay. Humans are not born sinless. Right. And then there was a means of redemption that we see in the Cain and Abel narrative. And so it's all right there in Genesis. So... What about the idea that if we we were going through this book and we which we've done for I don't know many many sessions, but it's like so many other books I've read, right? Going back to the very beginning of my Christian life, there's always somebody that knows the secret. Yes, and the, usually the secret came from some special revelation, right? And I mentioned one time in an article two books I was reading as a new Christian that were really damaging to me. One was Kenneth Hagin's book, I Believe in Visions. Okay. Where he claimed to go to heaven and get revelations about God wanted to make every Christian perfectly health, healthy without sickness, but they won't let him because they they don't know the how to speak the word and believe the power of your own words and things like that. Okay. Then there was Watchman Nee with his more pietistic, ascetic version that the spirit is perfected within the person. 
based on his tripartite idea, and then you can gradually have the spirit, uh, and then the soul has to get straightened out, and then eventually the body. It's it's really so I'm reading this stuff. Neither of which was any good. It was it was material that you couldn't really derive from the Bible, other than by twisting it. Right. And we did uh, several episodes, at least on Watchman Knee a couple of years ago. Listeners can find if they want more information on Uh, that. But I mean, even when we were recording that series, I mean, I read it and we discussed it and we recorded it and I edited our recordings and I still was like, this is just confusing. Right. Um, And we heard from people who we're thankful that we did that because they'd been deceived in the past by that. Yes. He had this very complicated system of twisting scripture to come up with his teaching. Right. It seems pious, but it isn't. Right. It's actually wicked. And so there's this seduction. Now, go back to the Garden of Eden where we started this. This is where it all, this is the reason why Genesis 1 is what it is. In Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. The serpent didn't claim there was no God. Yeah. The serpent didn't claim God hadn't said anything. Right. The, the serpent claimed that God was withholding something. Yes, and that something was good. Yeah, there was something beneficial that he, he didn't provide. So the false teachers in our day aren't claiming that the Bible doesn't exist and that we can't study and read the Bible that God hasn't spoken, but they're right. twisting it. Yes, and and usually there's an attack on the sufficiency of Scripture there as well. Sure, the authority of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, and then the alones, the five solas, all of that is under attack. Yes. And the way I noticed recently it's attacked is by attacking people from church history who believed in Scripture alone that had other things that were wrong. And so, therefore, they they say, well, uh, you must have got that from Calvin or somebody that people tend to not like. Right. Okay, so I'm very careful to go back to Scripture again and again and again. Yes. And Scripture tells us that God has spoken. So you can dislike people from church history all you want. They're all fallen. Um, They did not write Scripture. They're good things to listen to from people in church history. Mm -hmm. They're things to avoid because we need to put everything in light of Scripture. Well, and and one of the... It's just an ad hominem argument. Calvin yeah. taught that Calvin was evil. He did this. So I don't have to listen to anything. God never elected anybody. The solos aren't valid. We can do whatever we want. So I just keep going back to scripture. Right. Go ahead and hate John Calvin, but that's not going to change anything about what God already said in scripture. Yes. And even if, I mean, there's value in learning church history. There's value in reading the writings of some of these people because the issues that were going on then really aren't all that different than the issues going on now. And it's good to read and know the arguments, but that's not scripture. Right. 
Well, I, I happen to notice here when we're getting the camera set up, there's a bunch of my church history books behind me here. Yeah. I love studying church history. Well, but... I've been interested since I was a brand new student in Bible college after I left Iowa State where I was studying chemical engineering. Mm -hmm. I took a course the first summer on historical theology. Yeah. A special course you could take. I wanted to know more about what happened and how did the early church fathers teach things. Right. And I've studied church history my whole life, and I've come to the conclusion more so than ever, scripture alone. Yep. Air so, happened throughout. This is the book that's propping up my microphone right now. This is my evening reading these days. Looks like it's showing backwards, but it's early Christianity and it's primary source texts from the early church. And right. I have I have actually the the all of the writings of the early church. Mm-hmm. Antonician fathers and so on. And I studied that with one of my favorite teachers. Now, the point is this. You can't say that we have to throw out biblical doctrines because someone in church history held to those doctrines and we don't like that person based on other things they did. Right. Okay. So the issue is, can we know the scripture? Yes. Another doctrine is the perspicuity of Scripture. Right. Let's define that for listeners. Well, that means it's clear. Yes. It's, it's understandable. It's written in human languages designed for humans to understand. Yes. Going back to the garden, as God said, well, it's a little cryptic. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he said touch when in fact he didn't. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's not with, without reason that the I know the just it's providence that the books are in the order that they are. But yeah, in the revelation, it warns about adding to it. And early in Genesis, we see someone that did add to it, right? So we don't add to it, we don't detract from it. We want to believe what God said, it's clear, it's authoritative. It's binding. It's sufficient. And yes. so we need to stand up for that. And what I do, even though, as you've seen as we've gone through this this one book we've done lately, if somebody cites a scripture, I will always go, if I'm going to re debate the person, and look up the scripture they cite and do the exegetical work and look up the Greek, if, if that's helpful, and make sure I understand it, and then use the scripture they cite to refute the person. Right. Okay, because if you're going to cite scripture, you better be able to go into the arena of public debate and defend what you said about it. Absolutely. And I've we've been... done a lot of that in, in the Dot Sheets series. He well, quotes verses that actually mean the opposite of what he's trying to make it mean. Well, the most interesting debate, public debate, I ever was in was the one with Doug Paget, yes, a, a famous person in the emergent church, and wrote quite a few books. And I cite him in the book I wrote about emergent church, and through providentially ended up in a public debate that was well attended. Yeah. <laughs> that was packed. Yeah, biggest group we ever had in that building that back in the day, and 
I just cited scripture after scripture and laid it out for what it said. Right. That did not please him. <laughs> no. <laughs> One of his books, the cover art is showing a guy with a bullhorn who's a preacher and a person sitting there. Right? I remember oh. that one. Yeah. And so the generation he was reaching was, we don't like people telling us things. Yeah. What did he call it? Speeching instead of preaching? Speeching. And so then their idea was everybody has a conversation that doesn't really come to a conclusion. Right. I remember him talking about how their church meets in the round and they just have this discussion and... Right. And then you end up with a square circle. We talked about that. <laughs> yep. It doesn't mean anything. But the book I wrote on Emergent Church, I went back to the key sources, including Jurgen Moltmann, progressive theology out of Europe. And it turns out it is going somewhere. It does believe certain things. Brian McLaren and so on. There's always beliefs. Right. And generally what's wrong is eschatology. Yes. In that case, their belief is there's no future judgment. Everything's evolving into paradise on earth without judgment. And then you don't, you can't really know what the Bible means because some people with bad motives have already told you what you're supposed to believe about it. Right. And we're red letter. So in the debate, I put up this verse on a PowerPoint. It says, from, it was uh, John 12, 48, the one who doesn't, believe me, and rejects my words, has one that'll judge him on the last day, the word that I've spoken. Wow. And I put it up there, and here's all his, his people were there, too, his followers. And I, I said, well, the Bible, Jesus said there'll be judgment on the last day, and it's based on his words, and we can pretty well know what they mean. How can they judge us if, if they're just um, amorphous and have no particular content? They're what you feel. Yeah. It was just turning red as a beat he was <laughs> see when you take what people say and then take the meaning from scripture and apply it it's still valid uh dear ones as you listen to this people will say well everybody has their own opinion people always think it means this and they think it means that it's so hard so you just have to have your own no the bible means what it says well they don't believe in truth so you can't teach it no Yes, teach true. You don't have to believe in it for it to convict you. Right. Okay. So I will teach the truth from the scripture, giving transparent exegetical processes. So here's how I came to arrive at what I'm saying it means. Here's the context. Here's the words. I believe it means this. And I got good evidence for it. Well, we don't believe in exegesis. We don't believe in all that. We believe in feelings and impressions. Well, that's what Eve believed in. Yeah. <laughs> and it just plunged everybody under the wrath of God. Right. Okay? So teach it because it's true. Don't be put off by people not liking it. Right. Because these words are able to make those who believe wise unto salvation. Amen. And so if you go back to Genesis, which is what we're focused on here, what did the serpent say? You shall not surely die. Right. 
Gotcha. And, and you shall be like God, knowing right. good and evil. Well, let's just look at exactly. So you're going to gain secret information. You won't really die. You're going to gain something you don't have, and it'll be good. Now, just look at that. We mentioned the emergent church. Or how about this heaven on earth stuff that we've been looking at? They want to deny future judgment. Right. Okay. Well, that's what the serpent did. Yes. Now, he's equivocating on the word die. What he meant was, you're going to eat and you're going to still be standing here. Yes. Which is what happened. Right. But then Moses, who wrote Genesis, says they were suddenly aware of their own nakedness. Yes. And they were ashamed. Right. They were alienated from God. Okay. So death isn't obliteration. Right. It's separation. So they were separated from God and they knew it. Yeah. There was also a separation in their relationship with each other. Yes. And so this is the, the, the equivocation is what the big problem is. And as we'll see, the people who take their stand on spiritual visions or what have you equivocate on just about everything. Right. They're offering people some something better than what God gave them through Scripture alone and relief from the effects of the fall, which we just read about how that happened, through a spiritual process that goes beyond what Scripture teaches. So next time we'll start with that to show you how that works and why you need to avoid it. You will not get better. You'll get worse, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramus. And Bobby Way. We'll see you next week.